Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Today, I would like to welcome my very special guest, a poet and dear friend of mine who happens to be also a restaurant owner and yoga instructor and an educator in the um, at the university level. So you don't know who she is because I haven't told you her name, but um, she's wonderful and I love her to death. I'm so glad she could join me today. Let's welcome Emily Highland to the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are you on this beautiful day, Miss Emily? I'm doing okay. You're the first stop on a long day of reading and writing and lying around and staring at the ceiling. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So I like to start uh, the episode with a poem by Hafiz from this book, The Gift. I don't know if you know this book, but I love it so much. It's got so many like dog ears and post-it notes, but I tend to just like rifle through. So let's just see what happens in our roulette of poetry. And today's poem is Friends Do Things Like This. Mm. Friends do things like this. Tell me which mat their house key is hidden under. Hafiz, jump over, cut right through all the small talk today. Look beneath the right-hand corner of that kirman behind the bar, barn, where my sweet dog is usually sleeping. Don't worry, she won't bite. For you would not believe the extraordinary view of God from my bedroom window. Mm. Oh, that's so nice. That's a good one. So what stands out for you in this poem? I like the intimacy of, of the relationship of, oh, okay, here's this little detail of how you can enter into my home, the trust and the vulnerability there. And I love how that ends the, the view of God. What is God, this expansive view out or this dog sitting out there that you can peer at? Yeah. Yeah. And just the, the quiet, um, love I feel like is underneath that poem. Mm. Um, it's this invitation. Yes. To, to have an intimate relationship and to come into my, my personal space, but also just this love that it's not declarative. It's not like this big, like, let me show you how much I love you. It's just these small gestures. Um, and I think that that's one of the themes that's popping up today in our pandemic era um, these small gestures of love and kindness. And so I just wanted to ask you what, um, how that might be showing up in your, in your life, because I know that you're in New York, so it's not like you're necessarily wandering the streets, you know, and getting fresh air. I mean, I don't know what your situation is as far as quarantine goes, but how has the small gestures of love and kindness been showing up in your life? Uh, you're making me think of one of my favorite quotes from the Dalai Lama, which is, be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. Um, mm. I really like and really use that as a value to live by. Um, but yeah, I'm in the middle of Manhattan in an apartment. Uh, so I'm very confined to this space. We've only been outside. We've been very honoring the don't go out unless it's essential. So we've only been out. I think I've been out twice and my partner has been out maybe four or five times. Um, and 
And we're right. talking like, like, like 50 days or, or, or about, right? As far yeah. as how long you've been. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's not a lot of outside time. <laughs> very, very inside. Um, but, but so it is, you know, I think at the beginning of this, I had read that, um, Anne Frank had spent 571 days in the attic, uh, wow. before then discovered and then killed. And that gave me such perspective that all of us as the weather's getting nice and it's like, we're so impatient to go and like sit in the park or go for a stroll or whatever, that we really have a lot more that we can handle being inside. And, and, you know, if she could do that when her life was at risk, I think, you know, by literally being murdered by Nazis, we can, we can, you know, have a little bit more stick to and resilience here and stay indoors. But, um, the kindness for me is manifesting. I teach yoga, uh, live stream, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, and it's manifesting in that community. Mostly, I think in terms of reminding people that it's okay to just feel tender and gentle and however they need to feel in their bodies right now and go easy and stretch and move in a very, in a very kind way. Yeah, that's really hard to remember because especially if you're, you know, in your house, even if even if it's not in a Manhattan apartment, you know, I mean, which is even more confined, but just staying in somebody's home, like being in front of a computer, it's it's hard to remember that we have bodies, right? There's this virtual existence that we're all moving into that it's it's easy to say, "Oh, I'll just sit here and and just lock into a screen all day." And forget to eat and forget to move my body. And then once we move our bodies, then we're like, Oh shit, I forgot to have a body. Right. <laughs> so it's really great that you're offering these reminders to people. Um, because without our bodies, we're, you know, what, what good are we? I mean, really, I mean, we have, you know, the screens as the substitute, but I feel that being present in the body can help us stay grounded in a way that prevents fear from running in our heads. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that we say, you know, and you're, I know you're a yoga teacher too. And we say that phrase a lot, right? Like be present, like come into the present, be present in your body. And what's been interesting for me during this time is really helping people drill down people, meaning myself too. Like, okay, I'm feeling a sensation right now. How can I be as like acute and specific and curious about the exactness of that and really be more and more discerning so that I can start to get to the roots of some of this? If all of that anxiety and stress that is in the world is manifested in our physical space, it's hiding somewhere, right? So like if my low back is hurting, where in my low back and, and when did that come on and how does that feel? And, you know, the low back is a big landscape. What little nugget of space is there and what is that teaching me? So that like moving through discomfort on a very granular level has been really powerful for me. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's an important part to, um, to bring up because for most people, when we talk about, I mean, you know, as yoga teachers, we kind of take it for granted that what we talk about everyone gets, but it's important to, to hone in on that, um, the granular aspect of it, because you could say, oh, you know, my hip is killing me. Like, and I'll just like power through, or I'll deal with it, or I'll just like, you know, accept that what it is, but instead of investigating, like, okay, 
where in the hip is it happening? Because that's my problem. Even though I had the low back, I got the hip. <laughs> but but it's um, but it is important to investigate those things because then we can once we find the origins, then we can start to undo those things or heal those things. Um, and to how we're moving in the world a little more intentionally. For sure. Um, and it starts It starts with us. It starts in ourselves. So that kindness, we need to turn in and be kind. I mean, you know, like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have really intense and negative internal narratives. And that self-talk is really, really problematic. Um, I, I was talking to someone the other day who kept you know, apologizing for going on, on a tangent in a story she was telling me. And it's like, why are you apologizing? Why is there this layer that you put upon yourself that you feel like you shouldn't be able to express your voice? And I feel like that's, you know, very evident in a lot of, uh, students and just a lot of people in life. And that was something I worked with for a really long time and still see happen. But when I'm able to really pivot in towards positive self-talk and nurture my being, that gives me that much more that I can offer out to other beings. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that I think is something that, um, a message that a lot of people would need to hear is that, you know, a lot of us feel helpless or, you know, like, what do we do? You know, all these, um, healthcare workers are on the front lines, but I'm not a healthcare worker. How can I help you know, what's happening. And it really does begin with ourselves. And so by you doing your work, you're able to just be this amazing, brilliant, like bright light for people um, that they'll want to follow your lead. Um, And so I think that what you're doing as far as setting an example uh, really helps people, even if you don't know that they're helping, you're helping them, you know? Um, you know, I'm thinking specifically about like right now, what comes to mind are your Instagram stories. And I don't know if you, when you post Instagram stories, are you like thinking to yourself, I I don't know who's seeing this, but I just want to do this for fun. Um, but I know that when I see them, I'm like, she's doing great. You know, I want to do what she's doing. Look at all the food she's making. Like, I want to make that stuff, (laughs) you know? And, and just, just the, the, I don't want to say display, but this pronouncement of what you're doing and who you're being is really inspiring. So I don't know if, if that's what you think about when you're, you know, posting publicly about, you know, whatever it is that's going on with you. Um, yeah. What are you thinking? I think that I'm in a position because I do have a little bit of, um, uh, well-knownness, not notoriety is not the right word. And celebrity is certainly not the right word either, but (laughs) a little bit more well-known because of the restaurants and that sort of thing. Um, and so I have, you know, some followers and I think it's a really beautiful opportunity because my heart and so much of my life is rooted in the contemplative space of the mindfulness world to really lean into just being, authentically me and my vulnerable self on there. And even though, yeah, they'll post videos of me like dancing around or cooking food or like, you know, some of the normal stuff of the day to day, I've also really used that as a tool to be honest about feelings, whether it was when my marriage was dissolving or through the process of mourning for my mom, who I recently lost. And I feel like when we can be truthful and honest in the paradigm of a thing like Instagram, that's when we become most relatable on a human level. And 
that's what's most important because there is so much fake fodder of showmanship on there. Um, and I know that when I do post things like that, that are really at that core emotional space of feeling is when most people engage with me and have shared, wow, I really appreciate your vulnerability. It's given me courage. And that's amazing because that's the kind of work I'm trying to do um, in my teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like that, um, you know, by just showing up that you are being of service to people without even intending to. And I think that that's the magic of, you know, being authentic and being who you are, who each of us is, instead of trying to be this other thing. You know, a lot of people are um, in this pandemic experiencing a sort of identity crisis, you know, because a lot of people put their identities in who they are as far as what their job was or the things that they did day to day. And now all that stuff has has fallen away. Um and so in addition to the material stuff of, you know, the real stuff of I don't maybe I don't have a job or, you know, my loved one passed away from from even if it's not the COVID-19 um, virus. I mean, there are people who are dying because they had been sick and, and family members can't go visit them. So there's this there's this dramatic shift of energies, but also identity. So a lot of the experience of this on a subtle level is this questioning of like, who am I? So what, um, you know, what, what kinds of things can people do to, I don't know, be okay with it, to examine it, to, you know, do any of it? Because I think you know who you are, at least that's how I see you. You And it's not a, a, a set identity. It's an evolving one. It's always changing, but you are following this inner truth, this, you're following your heart. And so is there any, I don't want to say advice, but any guidance that you can give for people who are experiencing this ungroundedness, this, you know, like, okay, I don't have this job of like banker. Who the hell am I? Yeah. Thank you. First of all, for those nice words. Uh, I certainly am. I was on a forced pivot and, um, that shift really helped me recalibrate and get my feet on the ground and start to pay attention to who I actually am and what I actually hope for in this life without uh, necessarily wanting to do that work. But now that I'm on that path of doing that work, everything has started to open up and is continuing to. Um, and one of the things that comes to mind for me is a quote from my beloved teacher, Mirabai Star. She's a um, a spiritual leader down based out of New Mexico who runs uh, writing practice retreats uh, rooted in grief, which I go to twice a year down in the desert and they're transformative. Um, and she has a lot of talks online and that sort of thing right now. So if you're, if anyone's interested, Mira by star, um, but she describes particularly in as a tool for our writing practice the more that you can be radically authentic is when people relate the most. So that idea of radical authenticity is, is the absolute imperative. And those are words that I really live by in my other life in restaurateur life. I'm in this tricky place because I'm the eponymous founder and brand ambassador for what is now, you know, a mid-size organization and it's like a proper corporation. And when the restaurant started, I was 
Emily the human being Emily the human and building the brand that way as myself. And now I am one layer removed from Emily the human while I represent the brand, but I really feel like I like to not push the buttons, but that's the place I really like to challenge, you know, with my director of marketing or my CEO or whatever, like, why can't, how, how can I, how can I be most authentically who I am without playing some sort of role? Because I honestly think that that's what people relate to most. They don't want a set stage or a uh, an enhanced characterization of someone. They want an actual person uh, who feels just like them. And I am an actual person. And so it's been interesting from a mindfulness perspective to wear those different hats and learn how to toe the line in the business space, if you will, um, about being as authentic as possible, but then knowing that there's this whole other layer of uh, forward-facing optics, if you will, <laughs> all this <laughs> jargon um, that matters in terms of like growing a company and the economy and, you know, the nuts and bolts of being part of something larger than you. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about this, this merging of like quote unquote tried and true business practices, right. With being authentic and, and, and this idea of like you being a brand, which is so funny. So for those of you that are listening and are dying to know, like what the hell is her restaurant? Because <laughs> we didn't even name it. It's um, Pizza Loves Emily and Emmy Squared, um, and she's got she's got locations through the city and in Nashville and Philly and uh, DC. Right? Did I get all the spots? Yeah, that's yeah. impressive. So I'm gonna drop um, in the show notes. You know all the all the all the stuff like with the website and stuff so they can find you. And also, you know what? You can share with me the um, the yoga studios where you teach at so they can okay. find you there too. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. But it, but it's so funny because it didn't occur to me until you just mentioned it that your own identity as a brand is something else, you know. And and it sounds so like kind of icky, like to think of like you, Emily, the human, as a brand, which is very abstract and very um, I don't know. It's just like very marketing, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so it's interesting for you to talk about how you push back against these these um, thinkers that are solely looking at marketing rather than understanding that the reason people come to your restaurants is because they know they think they know you as a person right and they're and people are interested in connecting with people not with brands not with like just a name um, and so how how has that shifted for you now that you've had to and you mentioned this you've had to pivot now, like everyone, you know, now that um, everything is online and everything is like this virtual distancing existence, um, how has that been for you to be like, here I am, I'm still here. I also own a restaurant. Do you know, uh, like I'm trying to just get a sense of uh, your identity now um, in tandem with the restaurant. Yeah, it is. It is a little disjointed and I, um, I've had to do a lot of unpacking from it. You know, I am not, I'm not a business person. I like to say I'm not a business person, but at the end of the day, I am a business person, right? Like I am part of this major company that I built and, 
um, that's a huge part of how I spend my days. So it's interesting to be a, like an anti-patriarchal non-business person functioning and operating a successful and growth (laughs) business. So I'm, I'm in that sort of disjointed energetic space, uh, at least personally and philosophically thinking about that. And I love all the realms of what I do, but right now I'm sitting in my my yoga teaching space, you know, and then later this week I'll pivot over to the kitchen with like professional lighting and stuff and like turn on the, you know, Emily at home cooking in the kitchen hat. And it is a different energy. Um, and it is different messaging too. So I think what's changed is that in, in the beginning, Emily restaurant, the first one is just called Emily. I literally, it was literally me walking around the dining room, building relationships with guests who live in the neighborhood. Right. And the people who come to that restaurant, many of them still come because of those relationships that were built. Like relationship building is of foremost importance in any industry or any walk of life. And in, in yeah. I mean, you and I met and built this awesome relationship a year ago, and now you're my best writing buddy I have. So all right for that. Um, yeah. And then as things have grown, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, so something that was totally mine, right. Or mine and my business partners, then we, we grew and took on growth partners who, who now own, you know, a huge chunk of the intellectual property and the concept and everything. So something that is literally manifest in, in who I am and my experience as a person is now this shared vision that becomes larger and more abstract, as you said, and amorphous and removed from me. So there was actually a lot of ego friction that I had. Um, and there's actually this thing called founderitis. I worked with a, a for a few f- sessions with a, a business coach to unpack where unpack where um, a founder becomes so attached, especially if the the company is named for them. Um, become so attached to the company that they lose all objectivity that it's a company and it's bigger than them. Um, and so that was really some untangling I had to do because, uh, and I apologize, I'm speaking so long here. The other facet is that I, my marriage, I was married to my business partner and then that wound up dissolving. And when I was in therapy after that, the work that I was really doing was ego-based untangling, identity-based untangling, saying, who am I as a person if I'm not Emily of Emily as Emily the human, you know? And so it's been really fascinating to just watch how that changes and do the work of unclinging and really letting go of that attachment need because it has been very strong, this feeling of ownership or like, this is mine even though it's not mine anymore, it's shared with other people, even though it's named after me. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's gotta be a total like tangle. Like you said, the untangling of it must've been so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're probably still like working through that stuff, but it is definitely ego based. And, um, and so that, that sort of goes back to what I was, what I was referring to as far as like people tied in with their, their identities as whatever job that they do, you know, whatever their role is in the, in the productive society, you know, and how, how everyone's identity seems to have been, you know, taken away. Um, if, you know, you're, for whatever reason, you're, you're still working, you know, frontline people and stuff. That's, that's a different thing. I'm talking more about those of us who are at home 
and have rooted our identities in the material sense of material validity of, you know, like I own these cars, for example, and now, you know, I can't drive them. So what good are they? I mean, is my identity, you know, now compromised? And so I was thinking about, as you were talking, how you, you mentioned that you're, you know, you've got your yoga space and then you shift over to the kitchen and that's a different Emily. So how are these identities coming together for you? Because I know um, you and I are similar in that we wear a lot of different hats. You know, um, we, we both are poets. We both are yoga teachers. You cook in the kitchen. I, you know, I don't know what I do. I raise kids <laughs> and um, and we both um, teach undergraduates. And so there's all of this hat changing that's happening um, at every, any given point. So how are you, because I'm curious for myself, selfishly, um, how are you merging or incorporating or reconciling all of these identities in, in who you are? I just taught the uh, breathwork portion of the yoga teacher training that I'm part of. And every year when I do that, I reread Richard Rosen's The Yoga of Breath, which is the book that I lean into most for breathwork. And the two essential questions that he puts forth over and over are, who are you as a body and who are you as a breather? And I feel like that's where I come down into um, letting go of those other facets of identity, like the cars or the job or the things that are exterior, right? Who am I as a breather? Who am I as a body? Mm. So that for me is, is what helps me come towards that grappling with identity. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds that the identity piece of it is really separate from ego, like all these other identities, these hats that we try on are roles merely that we play when identity is really the essence of who we are. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Right. I, I agree with that. The, the we love to head down the storyline and the narrative, right. And all that does is that distracts us from the quality of truth of who we really are. Right. If you look to the yoga sutras, yoga, Chitta Vritti Narodaha, right. Sutra number two, Yoga is the quieting or cessation of all of the changing states of the mind, all of those distractions. So when we're able to, to tug ourselves, we see ourselves headed down that storyline, right? And then when we can acknowledge, oh, okay, I see myself as the person who drives the BMW down the street, I can say, okay, now I'm going to bring myself back to my breath in my body and acknowledge that that has nothing to do with who I am on a much more primal and authentic level. And I'm going to continue to build the relationship with who I am as a breather and how I feel in my body right now. Yeah. And that happened, you know, at least for me, like 20,000 times a day. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's the, the external world that keeps pulling at us, pulling at us, you know, to, to in this, I don't know. I feel like some days it's like a big vortex. It's like, oh, who am I? It doesn't matter. You should be paying attention to this. You should be producing this. You should figure out how to make more money and whatever. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a lot of work to just sit and be present and to like have a relationship with our, with our inner selves, which is why I think it's great that you are doing, um, you're teaching the classes uh, live stream because I, I, I feel like recorded classes don't quite deliver the same feeling like physically. Okay. You can do it, but you know, you can also check out, you can be like, yeah, I'll skip this part, you know, but there's somebody there, even if it's digital, 
You know, there's there's some exchange of energy. There's something that can be gained from the the live streaming. So for anyone who's listening, live streaming is the way to go. <laughs> and for me also, it just, it builds so much more community. I get to see all those students that I normally would have in the classroom. And it's been nice. My, my Thursday morning lunchtime crew is the same group of people who were my Tuesday morning, early morning crew at the studio. And so- nice those little nuggets of community are, are, are there and everybody knows each other and checks in and, you know, yeah. maybe breastfeeding for a moment before they pop down onto the mat. And it just feels really warm and intimate and closer to each other than we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I'm learning from, you know, interacting online because initially, and, and I had been doing stuff online for a while, but initially when I first started working on Zoom and, and other kind of online platforms, I thought it was the strangest thing. I was like, I don't know, like, am I really going to benefit from like this? There's a screen in front of me, but as a, as you know, everyone's now coming online, there is energy there, even if it is through these like hardware things, these, you know, really cold devices, there's still energy that's being shared in community. And I think that that's um, something that shouldn't be underestimated. For sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's important. It's hard to stare at the screen, but it's important to keep the relationships with the people we love as alive and, and nurtured as possible. And it's nice to look at somebody and, you know, the brightness in their eyes that you might not have seen in a long time. Yeah. See, and that's why I told you to turn the camera on. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, um, I wanted to ask you about how poetry is um, playing a role in all of this for you. Um, you know, for those listening, the, Emily and I have been, have been writing buddies for a while and, and we try to exchange work. Um, but I wanted to just ask you for the benefit of our listeners, um, how has writing, you know, been been in your life? Like, what is it doing for you? Is it doing anything? Um, and is that something that maybe other people can try out or explore? The biggest silver lining from the time spent confined to home and not working as fully in my full-time, you know, restaurant world as possible has been the space and time for the writing um, I am doing more constructive leading of writing groups and actual writing than I ever have. And it feels like where I want to be, like I'm starting to see some direction with that. So I'm so grateful that that space has opened up and the writing is an opportunity to drill down into the intimate, honest moments of witnessing life, which is like the yoga, is that radical authenticity. And I think having an accountability buddy, which you are for me, um, Leslie Ann underestimates the, the power of what we've done together. We've <laughs> held each other accountable writing poems almost every single day for at least five months out of this past year. Which yeah. to me, hot damn, that's impressive. <laughs> I wrote you the other day. Um, but being able to just get the ideas down, not thinking you have to create some sort of like ingenious new epiphany moment, but just being able to look at the plant sitting on the windowsill that you've been looking at for the past six weeks and try to capture its beauty. Or it's, it's an art of paying attention is what yeah. it is. And so it's helping reinforce these other practices that 
I'm living by. And as a result of trying to be more present in the body, more present in the experience of my home, I feel like my writing has gotten sharper and I'm really proud of a lot of the work that I'm doing. And I think in a, in a hugely important part of your, your art, whether it's writing or other modalities is the sharing of that because the human experience is a shared experience and is so relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And that sharing part is really important because, you know, we can create all we want and if we don't share it, it almost feels like it didn't happen. You know, they make this joke of like, if it's not on Instagram, it does, it never happened. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's just, it just goes back to, you know, the idea of sharing, like, why are you creating something and, and not sharing it with, with somebody to, to sort of, I mean, for me, it's sort of like this actualization of, of like completing that work. It's like, I make this thing, but if I don't share it with somebody, it almost feels unfinished. Uh, because like you said, it's this, it's the sharing of the human experience and it could be anything. It doesn't have to be writing. It could just be like, I made like the other day, I made a Clementine cake. <laughs> I had old clementines. I was like, I'm going to throw them in a cake. And I didn't think anything of it. And I shared it on Instagram and everyone's like, oh my God, I want to eat that, you know, and send me the recipe. So it, for me, the, the creating is just about not just sharing the human experience, but also creating connections. And I think that's a large part of what you've been doing, whether you're conscious of it or not, but just on the whole, in terms of the writing, in terms of teaching yoga, in terms of sharing your cooking, um, with everybody on Instagram, you're really building connections where maybe there weren't any before, you know, like maybe there's some yoga people that are watching your cooking Instagram stories. And then I don't know how it works, but maybe they'll get connected with your restaurant people. And then everyone in your various pockets of community suddenly are like all here, you know, because of you. Um, intersection. And that does happen even before this time. My favorite, I would always be so tickled when students who would come to yoga, you know, at 7.15 before work, invariably at least one student would be at the end of class making a reservation with me for dinner sometime later in the week. And I really, I really like the cross-section of, of people that are in different parts of life. Um, but you're making me think also of, of uh, two different things. One of them is that the process of the sharing helps us remember that we're not alone, right? Like there's been some very intimate moments in your poems of late that I've commended and been most interested in because I can connect to them. It's that fascia that binds us, right? That connective tissue. Um, so there's that layer that's resonating from what you're saying. And then also this other phrase that my teacher Mirabai says over and over again in our writing practice group. And it's that when we share, we're all bearing witness for each other's truth telling. Mm. So that the sharing is not about, you know, if you're sharing with me, it's not for the purpose of me internalizing what you've said, but instead for me to be this container, this holder of space so that you can actually digest and process what you've just put down on the page. And that's a really powerful act because we have to work through the things that have been written and come out to actually process and grow. Right, right. And and often, and this, and this is more speaking to writing, often when the writing comes out, I don't know if this is the case for you, but sometimes we don't even realize what we're writing until much later. 
You know, we might see words, we might see like the surface narrative of what the words put together are saying, but we don't always understand the, the deeper meaning of it until someone else has read it, until someone else, you've shared it with somebody else, until someone else maybe just reflects back what you've written. Um, and then that opens up a whole bunch of things where you're like, what? I did that? <laughs> oh, what's that? That mirror is a yeah, 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 totally. Um, so I wanted to wrap up the episode with a poem that of your choosing. So I wanted to find out from you. Do you have something you'd like to share? Me, so I have Rumi. All right. Um, this is my favorite Rumi poem, and uh, it's called "Gamble Everything for Love." If you want what visible reality can give, you're an employee. If you want the unseen world, you're not living your truth. Both wishes are foolish, but you'll be forgiven for forgetting that what you really want is love's confusing joy. Gamble everything for love if you're a true human being. If not, leave this gathering. Half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. You set out to find God but then you keep stopping for long periods at mean-spirited roadhouses. In a boat down a fast-running creek, it feels like trees on the bank are rushing by. What seems to be changing around us is rather the speed of our craft leaving this world. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Mm. Oh, and so appropriate. I love it. Gamble everything for love. That's it. I'm telling you, it doesn't even have to be like romantic love, all kinds of love. Just gamble it all. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your time with us. Um, I hope that my listeners are inspired by you as much as I am. Um, and if you guys want to check out her stuff, I have it in the show notes. Um, so as I do with all uh, episodes, I will close with our beautiful saying, uh, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. Mm. Till next time. Are you feeling overwhelmed or extra sensitive? Looking for a little relief to relax your grip? Follow me on Instagram where I offer guidance every Friday with fabulous Fire Fridays. Using oracle cards and writing prompts that invite you to explore more deeply the ways in which you experience the world. Wouldn't you like a better understanding of the source of your thought patterns and how to revise them into stories that lift you up? Check out my posts every Friday and join in on the conversation. You can follow me at Surya Gyan Yogi to get all the goodness. That's S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or go to my website, suryagyan.com. Live your best life now.